Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 41 Access Denied. I'm your host for the episode today, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Lycotic. And I'm really excited. Today is an important episode for you. And I'm actually joined by an awesome and esteemed guest. Uh, so I'd like to, to pass over to uh, Dave Lewis to introduce yourself. So Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you get up to uh, in the industry. Well, thank you for that. Uh, my name is Dave Lewis. I'm a global advisory CISO for Cisco Systems. Uh, and I also operate as Joe's stunt double. Um, <laughs> I, I've been doing security now for, I'm, I'm heading up towards 30 years now uh, in various different formats over the years. Um, and it's been quite a wild ride. And the thing that I like about being at this point in my career is being able to look back at all the mistakes I made and all the swords that I have to fall on and be able to share those lessons with other folks. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to benefit from that experience. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the most important things. That's what I look back in my past as well. And all the things that I've learned, those are the things I want to pass on to other people. It's lessons learned, it's experiences, it's knowledge that I've gained. And I did, I did have the laugh a few weeks ago when we were actually chatting each other online. And uh, Yavid made the comment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about, is it one person complimenting himself on Twitter? Um, <laughs> that was very comical and very, you know, <laughs> he's definitely one person who keeps us entertained. So um, at some point, I'm looking forward to, to all of us getting together in the future. Oh, uh, that would be absolutely wonderful. And then was, we could have was, that wonderful experience of walking into a bar and say Dublin being mistaken for a certain <laughs> actor. <laughs> do you ever get the Colin Farrell lookalike? Oh, yes. Uh, Java do. goes on and on about that one, too. <laughs> so I think I've actually, at some one point in time in the past, I actually give out his signatures. <laughs> I was actually doing autographs I, for him. <laughs> so. I did the exact same thing at a pub in Dublin. Um, this young lady came up and she was actually originally from Belfast and she's like, I absolutely have to have your autograph. And I said, you know that I'm not him, right? She goes, I don't care. I need your autograph. I'm like, okay. It's a, yeah, it's a, we should definitely monetize that for sure. <laughs> so at some point in time, so, but back today, today's episode is really important. I mean, we've, we've in the industry, we're always great at making up new terms and new ideas and marketing teams get their heads together and they start thinking about new buzzwords and what things are going to make the headlines. And today's episode is really for the audience. You know, zero trust has been a big term that's been on the upward trend. And I'm even starting to see it becoming even more visible and more important, especially with, you know, with these things like the executive order um, talking about it. We've got different frameworks and best practices coming out. So I think for the audience, really, I want to get behind the scenes. I want to really start to uncover what zero trust is, how it came around, um, and really, you know, reveal kind of so that the audience get a better understanding because many of us have different interpretations. We, even ourselves, we've got different interpretations of what zero trust really is or, and, and what it does. But I think we have a common understanding as well. So Dave, can you just kind of for the audience really give us a bit of a background to zero trust, um, you know, where it came from uh, and really kind of what, what state are we in today? So zero trust is a term that was coined by an analyst at Forrester uh, 
uh, I'm going to blank on the year right now, but it was quite a few years back. Um, and the idea here is about, what's that? 2010. 2010, yeah, sorry. It, it's a wee bit early for me today. Um, but yeah, no, this was a term that was coined. And the whole idea was to be able to look at authenticating everything on your network mm -hmm. from users to devices, applications. And this has really spun off in many different directions from many different vendors as to what zero trust means. And for me, I like to actually simplify it as you know, stripping it right down to reducing risk in an organization and getting back to the core fundamentals of all the things that we should have been doing for the last 30 plus years. You know, network zone segmentation, managing users, managing devices, you know, actually knowing what's on the wire. Uh, one organization I worked at many years ago, I remember we were deploying software for X number of nodes, I'll say randomly 5,000 nodes. And it was like, okay, that's what we were told was in the asset inventory. Uh, I should have taken a clue that the asset inventory was a spreadsheet on one guy's laptop <laughs> uh, as my warning, but I didn't rock that. And it turned out that it was more than double the number that was advertised as to what we had to push software mm -hmm. to. And it actually surprised the folks that were managing the network that there were that many devices. And it should never be a surprise like that. That sort of visibility should be there um, because you can't protect something if you don't know what's there. So having that mm -hmm. visibility, having that ability to say um, the perimeter is fundamentally broken. You know, what we have traditionally looked at as the perimeter of being the old castle wall and the moat and all that sort of wonderful stuff is a fundamentally broken notion when we consider that, you know, there's, you know, East Gate, West Gate, South Gate, and all of them just happen to be open and people are coming and going, but you're busy manning the North Gate. Yep. Um, we have to really look at this as, you know, zero trust is all about anywhere an access decision is being made and have that as your core starting point in order to get your head around it and then do the homework of rationalizing what users are in your environment, what applications and uh, what devices. Absolutely. And, and I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I've, I've came from the, the same, you know, past with experiences where I remember an organization that, you know, thought they had 120,000 uh, devices on the network because that's what the spreadsheet told them. And so we were getting into, it was doing an inventory asset management for license management and patching systems and, and software inventory. And we were kind of like, are you sure you don't want to do a discovery first? Let's, let's just verify that your spreadsheet isn't static and, you know, that is up to date. And the last person who filled it in made sure they put all the systems in correctly. Do you want to do a discovery? So after getting into that negotiations and after a couple of you know, weeks of discussions, we got into agreement of doing the discovery. And they found 140,000 systems on the network. 20,000 more devices. And you think about even just getting into that calculation, that the energy of those devices alone was enough to pay for the deprovision, just the energy cost. And what mm -hmm. had happened was people basically, as they got new devices, that old device moved onto the desk a little bit to the right. And basically they were still using it for things like personal activities, checking their own personal emails, Googling the internet. Um, it became basically an additional device that they can go to their old files if they needed to, or old versions of the software, which may not have worked in the new devices. And all of that suddenly became, you've got now devices that are not being patched, that are being outdated, that have default and legacy passwords and haven't been updated uh, for a long time. And, the, and you know, even licenses were not being uh, covered in those devices as well. Mm -hmm. So it really exposes the risk. And I remember even you know, my time along in, in, in Symantec, where we looked at, you know, it wasn't Zero trust in, in that phrase, it was a little bit before that time. I think zero trust came out of it, which was around the snack and neck, um, where you did network segmentation. And this is really where, when it was, 
And this is where I believe that zero trust, really zero trust is really for me is just another term that we call for the public internet. <laughs> the public internet is zero trust. And what we're doing is we're taking that and applying it to our corporate networks and our corporate kind of infrastructure. And back in that time, it was all about devices that were on the public domain that might come into your organization that might have malware or have, to, you know, maybe it gets a scan and it finds a virus. What Snack and Knack did was it moved it into a quarantine segmentation network that was untrusted. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it had to be scanned, it had to be remediated, it had to be cleaned. And ultimately, that's really, I believe, that was the foundation, the starting point, that that untrusted segmentation of quarantining on the network was really where the analysts at Forrester kind of took that term from. I'll actually go further back than that because um, my brain is slowly kind of catching up with the fact that I'm awake. Um, there was the, the Jericho Forum had actually put out a paper yes. on deperimeterization that predated all of this. And uh, I, I, I feel bad that I actually forgot that straight out of the gate. But uh, yeah, no, th- fundamentally, none of this is new. Um, it is just the term zero trust is, you know, maligned by a lot of parties, but as a marketing term. And you know what? There's truth in that. It has taken a lot of things that we should have been doing all along and put a big marketing spin on it in that is getting people to pay attention. And that's the thing that I like about it is that they're paying attention and get, you know, getting people to take this seriously. And when you look under the hood at all the things that make up Zero Trust, it's all stuff that we should have been doing from day one. Absolutely. It's, it's really taken it from, from those, you know, the, those uh, older times when we were focusing on network uh, segmentation. We were focusing at deprimatization. I, I completely agree. Even that was, you know, the Jericho Forum was fantastic at really starting that trend of deprimatization and seeing that identity really became the foundation uh, of what linked everything together. Um, and I think what, what's happened is, is that looking at those things, we should have been doing much more broader that when we looked at things like mobility, and you know BYOD and connectivity and cloud computing, all of those things has meant that that perimeter has now disappeared. And it's meant that going back to you know what you're saying is it really means that we must apply zero trust to more things um, than what we were doing in the past. And now basically we're looking at you know into that you know terms. I still look at it as it's the public internet. We're just now looking at we don't trust anything on the public internet. We had to treat our own corporate networks in that same realm, which means continuous verification continuous authorization, continuous authentication, and just make sure that everything, as it gets an, an access request, that it is authorized and it is trust, you know, it, it's building a trust mechanism into that. Yeah, the internet is absolutely fantastic for other reasons too. I mean, you, if we look at Netflix as an example, they had a uh, script or have a script uh, called Chaos Monkey that would go around randomly <laughs> downing systems to test the resilience of the network. Um, at my last job, we referred to the internet as our chaos monkey because it really is <laughs> relentless. It'll drop you at a, in a moment's notice. Um, but, you know, understanding that, you know, it is a big, scary place. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that in a fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's just you have to pre- be prepared. And this is why Zero Trust, uh, as a strategy, is an excellent way to look at it for an environment. And, you know, I, I've had this question posed in the past. It's like, you know, how do I become Zero Trust certified? You don't. You just don't. Uh, and if anybody's selling you that, you've got to take them out to the woodshed. Um, I mean, realistically, it is really about an iterative process of reducing mm-hmm. risk in your organization. So it, it's not as, you know, buy this magic widget and everything's going to be fine. It really is about people and process. And that's mm-hmm. one of those things we have to get back to talking about the human element within organizations, because we 
tend to, and I've been guilty of this in the past, we tend mm-hmm. to focus on technical solutions. And I mean, we and the greater we. Um, and that, you know, it's a byproduct of what we do. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we, we've always had hands-on keyboards and this is where we live. But we really have to collectively do a much better job of focusing on the human element because this is where security fundamentally lies. And if we can get a good grasp on that, that will also help greatly reduce risk in organizations. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing stuff like gamifying security awareness training, if you're getting people to understand how to work remotely safely and things to that effect, all of these elements are iterative wins and uh, mm-hmm. better ways to uh, improve security overall. Absolutely. I think the key thing here is what I really kind of is that while it might be kind of included as, as a part of a bird, buzzwords and many of those other terms that we can introduce, it's one that does have a real impact to organizations. And it's one that absolutely, I agree that it's getting attention. It must be a priority for organizations to at least strive to be uh, moving in that direction. I heard one of the, one of the best terms um, I heard, because I, I, I've been listening to, to many conferences and many people talking about zero trust. And, and at your point, you know, it's not a product. It's not something you can install. It's not a, a compliance that you can checkbox and say, I'm zero trust. The best term I heard, it was from Brian Meister, who uh, was from Yahoo, was talking about uh, kind of his experience in actually going through this. And the way he phrased it was one of the best. It was, somebody, it was actually during the QA time when it came up uh, during his session. And the person asking, you know, kind of people think that zero trust that it's it's scary because there is no end. You never, you don't, you know, complete the project. And he said the way he kind of phrased it was, it's a mindset in how you wish to operate your your business. It's basically a way that you, it's a choice and how you want to apply security to your business. And it was for me that was one of the best kind of realizations is that this is not there is no end. It's it's a change in mindset. It's a change yep. in how you wish to operate. And therefore, um, you might. this really means that any company is coming with what they refer to as zero trust solutions. I think, you know, and, and, and zero trust implementations, it's really, when we get down to the reality, what they're really providing is zero trust features that help you apply it to a specific risk. Um, and this Absolutely. is where we have to get into. There's no one solution. There's no one company that will provide you a zero trust product and you're done. What you look at is that each company will come with different zero trust features and will help you apply it to specific risk that you want to reduce. So just thought, this, on, yeah, just thought in your, your interpretation of that, that phrase and term. Yeah. And this is one of those things that, you know, as defenders, folks have to look at their security outcomes. What is it they are trying to achieve mm-hmm. in their organization? There's all sorts of vendors out there that are more than happy to help. But if you don't have a clear path forward as to what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve to protect your organization, you're really falling on your sword. We have fiduciary responsibilities, defenders, Mm -hmm. to do exactly that, to protect our organizations. And, you know, before you go talk to any vendor, you need to do your homework. You need to go through and say, you know, do the rationalization of the asset inventories. You know, you don't want to have that mysterious 20,000 systems on your network that you didn't know were there. (laughs) Um, That's terrifying on all sorts of different levels. Uh, Having lived through that, I can tell you that was just a a eureka moment of, oh, I can't believe that just happened. Um, Yeah, and and making sure that you have that clear path forward is, is absolutely fundamental. Yeah. So, so what's what's a good place for companies to start at? You know, let's say the company's going to and and they hear all of this buzzwords and all these terms, and they're seeing a lot of companies come with products saying they've zero trust features and functions and solutions and so forth. 
And the company really wants to start, you know, I, I agree, one of the most important things is inventory and really getting to know what you have. But let's say, what, what's the next stage that they want to do? What, what should you be looking for, uh, at least to take that journey and to start the journey? So one of the things that I typically overlook, and that's just because I have been very fortunate in past career uh, choices that I didn't have to think about this, but making sure that you have uh, senior management buy-in. If you have the senior management support, this is going to get easier. And, and this is not a, you know, give me X millions of dollars and it'll all just magically go away. <laughs> this is heavily process driven. So you want to make sure that you are looking at to find repeatable processes mm -hmm. because these are going to be fundamental tools in your uh, tool set to help secure the organization. Um, yes, there's all sorts of widgets that can help augment that. But if you have that core strategy in place to protect your organization, that is the real key. So specking out the strategy as how you want to go forward, going through and doing a full inventory of all your assets, all your users and all your devices. Um, then you are, you know, you have your three buckets of workplace, workforce, workload. You can drop each individual component of the organization into one of those buckets then you are getting the groundwork that you have built up. And once you have that strategy defined to your liking, mm -hmm. then you can go speak with your uh, vendor partners and trusted partners to build up you know, from there because they have the skill set based on experience with multiple different organizations that they can actually help contribute in many cases. Absolutely. And one of the things you mentioned, an important part, is buy-in from the board. And one thing that I find has been a bit of a challenge, especially, you know, when you're trying to communicate, you know, I think zero trust is a great term within our technology and security kind of realm of things. But the moment you take that term and you go to the board, and I've been down this path many times, I've been sitting in front of a board. And when you start doing fear FUD and stirring them into getting budget, you're going to feel they're going to come back and they're going to be asking you intelligent questions. They're going to be asking you about, well, what's your tangible you know, value? What's your ROI? How are you helping employees? And I think that we need to, we need to come up with a better strategy you know, when we're going to the board to get their buy-in. And for me, it's all about, you know, zero trust is a baseline to really building a trust risk-based framework um, that really will help reduce the risk from, from the threats out there, from the likes mm -hmm. of becoming, you know, victims of ransomware, from the likes of business email compromise, everything we're looking to do. And you have, I think we have to do a better job at translating really, you know, what zero trust value is to the business um, and really helping make sure that we have a much more, let's say, return on investment, value-based discussion with the board. I agreed. I mean, you know, the board speaks a certain lingua franca and we speak our own. And when you go into a situation like that and you say zero trust, that has, for a lot of folks that are non-technical, that has a very negative connotation. Yes. And I've experienced this in other parts of the world. So geographically, you could be in a different part of the world. And if you say zero trust, this is something that is seen as very negative. I gave a talk in uh, in uh, one country in Asia just before the pandemic, and I talked about zero trust. And I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and say, oh, you know, I'd never heard of this particular um, strategy. And I was like, oh, OK, this is interesting. And they said, but it's very negative. And I took their point. And I, I, I do understand that. And for a lot of people, for us as security practitioners, it just it's an it's a non sequitur. It's like, yeah. oh, OK, that makes sense. But for the wider audience, which is the, you know, the vast proponent, proponent, vast preponderance of folks that we have to protect, um, they don't get that. So yeah. taking the same thing and flipping on its heads, call it continuous trusted access or whatever you have to do, yes. 
finding a more positive way to approach the same thing. Nothing's changed other than the term. Again, it becomes a, a, a marketing internally in many ways to sell that to senior management so they understand exactly to your point, Joe, of reducing risk in the organization. So you want to reduce risk, reduce cost, and fundamentally get a good night's sleep. Absolutely. And th- this is fundamentally is we had to translate it into a much more positive area to the business, how it's helping the business and ultimately kind of tie it to that risk base because nothing in the business changes unless you actually have a tangible risk that you're looking for them to get budget to reduce uh, and, and ultimately you'll know, add value uh, to the business as well. Um, and I agree, you know, being based in Estonia, uh, one thing that, you know, here is that the government see themselves as a service provider. Uh, and really what they're looking at is that they do have, you know, built into our society a zero trust approach. However, we talk about it as much more of a, a digital trust. We look at it much more of a, uh, a you know, let's say uh, a trust framework uh, rather than actually talking about zero trust. What is the controls? Is the baseline? This is the starting point. But you build up your authentication, authorization, your verifications, so all the things you mentioned, continuous verification. Um, anytime you need to, to level up to a new privilege, you need to go through another level of basically uh, authorization to get there. You might add more security controls. So it's all about having that baseline starting point and then building trust and then determining you know, what trust, what controls you need to satisfy based on the risk that you're actually going to expose based, you know, from that uh, specific you know, process or service. Yeah. And like, for example, in Estonia, you guys are far, much further down the road than we are here in Canada. But here we're starting to wake up to, you know, the, the idea of zero trust, the idea of greater security, uh, you know, moving away from passwords is a great example. Uh, we've been stuck with, collectively, we've been stuck with passwords since I think it's 1962. It, it became a thing at <laughs> MIT because students were stealing high-end compute time from other students. And the mm-hmm. professor at the time put in a password control in order to marshal access so that the mm-hmm. students couldn't steal time from each other. And here we are, uh, in 2021, still contending with this sort of thing as a quote-unquote security control. And there are so many better ways to do things. Absolutely. Was it Robert, Robert Morris? <laughs> uh, well, no, but was, yeah, was, he was a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> so, one of, But one of the things also, I, I listened to one of your talks recently, which I thought was very fascinating. And it was really kind of got me into real, realization. And it was, for me, it was that, you know, there's a lot of things that we're looking at. There's zero trust frameworks, there's maturity models, which I really like the maturity model that the NSA um, introduced mm-hmm. because it, it shows you that it's not, you know, a one size fits all. And it's also not a one checkbox, that it is a journey. It's multiple phases and multiple kind of steps to maturity. And one thing I, I kind of, I was looking at, I was in a panel a few months ago, and we were talking about uh, 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 zero trust and things like operational uh, technology, OT, scatter control systems, uh, IoT systems. And we struggled because ultimately you're now in, in a situation where you know, unlike in IT environments where, you know, you change your laptop every three years, you change your phone every two years, um, software updates become almost a regular thing. But in an OT environment or scatter controls, it doesn't change. It might not change for this entire lifetime of it's being deployed. So, yep. you know, my question to you is there's, there's two areas, you know, does zero trust apply everywhere? Um, and a big one that you mentioned, does it apply to humans? Because by nature, <laughs> even our DNA and our, our, you know, we're trusting by nature. And actually, you know, cyber criminals take advantage of that. And they're very successful at that. Um, can, can you install zero trust <laughs> into humans? Um, or how do we kind of, you know, what, what's, what's the method around that, that side of things? And also looking at other areas that might be challenges such as uh, IoT and OT. All right. So installing in humans, yeah, that's a long, long <laughs> lead there. 
Um, when you look at security as something like, for, let's take home security as an example. You know, sometimes you'll go out to get something from the corner store. You left your door unlocked because you know you'll be home in a minute. People don't tend to take home security as seriously as they might until they have, uh, you know, an intrusion or a robbery or whatever it happens to be. Then it becomes very visceral, very, you know, a part of, you know, it hits them at home, at home because folks don't typically think about security in that frame of mind. Um, you know, we as security practitioners are somewhat a broken lot in that we are like constantly thinking <laughs> like that. But even then we make our own mistakes. I mean, I, I, I've made so many mistakes over my career. At least I've learned from them. Um, but it's true of everybody across the board. We all do make mistakes because we're human. We've got opposable thumbs, but that's about where it stops. <laughs> um, so yeah, getting people to do, it's an iterative process, very much like a zero trust program, mm -hmm. is that you have to constantly be reinforcing positively because mm -hmm. you know a lot of security uh, awareness programs or security programs in general have relied on vilifying the users in the past. Mm -hmm. And this actually plays very heavily into a lot of the thinking that I've seen historically where organizations would see security as a cost center mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a trusted business partner. I see that pendulum very much coming the other way now where folks are starting to wake up to the fact that you know security is a business enabler and we're getting people to do things safely and securely in a way that makes sense, you know, democratizing security in that giving tools to folks mm -hmm. they can use that are very simple and they can get their jobs done. Because going back to what I was saying earlier is most people don't think about security. But if you can give them tools that keep them safe and secure without ha them having to know how to mm -hmm. configure it or, you know, I love PGP. I absolutely love PGP, but I would never get my 75-year-old mother to use it. Um, <laughs> because, you know, some tools are written by engineers for engineers. So we have to make sure that we're giving people where their core competencies might be human resources or financial services or whatever it happens to be. We have to give them tools to keep them safe and secure. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an iterative process and there is no end state because once you train up a group of people, then you have a group of people that have just graduated from school and then they have to, we have to start all over again. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean that, but it's not a bad thing, but we have to be aware that this is not something that's just going to go away. We have to constantly be training to that effect. Now, when it comes to control systems, uh, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Uh, I spent nine years in that space and it is absolutely staggering the way things are in a control system environment versus any other sort of IT environment. And when there's a vulnerability, the universal refrain that'll always go up on the dumpster fire that is social media is, oh, just patch it. Um, <laughs> it's not that simple. Uh, in one organization I was working at, we had devices that were deployed in the field that have been there for 30 years. Yep. And there was no just patch it. Uh, even worse, if that particular uh, piece of hardware failed, it would have been six months to get a replacement. <laughs> so you can't just you know apply the logic that people are, they frame it as logic, mm -hmm. uh, that people will apply to most IT systems of just do X. Uh, it's never that simple. Uh, even with a regular IT system, it's never that simple. So we have to make sure that we have a mitigation plan in place for mm -hmm. any sort of control system, any sort of OT system, because a lot of it has to rely very heavily on network zone segmentation, as an example, mm -hmm. uh, or other compensating controls. Because I, I've seen devices in the past where the, you couldn't install an agent or whatever on mm -hmm. that particular system because it would fundamentally break the control system software. 
another example was I was able to install a agent for a particular piece of software. I can't remember what it is now. That's many years gone. But because of the way the system was in, uh, configured, encrypted data across the wire was then being intercepted by the agent locally and dumped into the log files not on purpose, just because of the way the system was operating. So I could see all of the sensitive data in my log files. And I was like, why is this here? And it, when I went to talk to the particular vendor, who will remain nameless, uh, of the uh, control system software, they said, oh, yeah, we can fix that for a half million dollars US. <laughs> so this is another problem most OT environments have to contend with, is that where we could just get a patch for you know, Windows, OS, uh, Mac OS, or whatever it happens to be, in the, o, in the OT environment, getting stuff changed is a much more onerous process, and especially yeah. when a fix is required. It, it's not as expeditious as I would and Absolutely. And I've, been, I've been seeing, you know, you know patch, patch that satellite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to do a firmware update to that chipboard. <laughs> so, um, oh, having, worked replace- on, having worked <laughs> on a satellite before, I can say it ain't that easy. <laughs> so, um, even I, I've seen it with even Maritime. You know, having you know, like maybe Actis or navigational system that you need to do an update. <laughs> That's not going to happen for a while until that ship uh, comes into port. Um, because you're not going to do it over basically over a VSAT link, that's for sure. Oh yeah, uh, like in, in Marsat B, was it 64 yeah, up and down? Yeah, it's yeah. like no. unencrypted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's whoever has the biggest antenna wins is what I referred to when you're talking about satellites. So uh, was it and absolutely, I, one of the things that you, you know you're absolutely right about the human side of things as well. I mean, we are we, we, from a society perspective, from a security awareness, we are way behind. And society, oh, yeah. we just need we need to continue that. We need to invest in it. We need to make sure that um, educational programs have, have, have I, I, I love the term. I don't know if you, you listened to other talks, but I did a CISO uh, panel roundtable during one of the events recently. And one of the, the CISOs said at the table says, it's great that we have been doing this, you know, secure by design for the past couple of years. It's been a great concept, but it's pointless and worthless unless we do security by default. Um, and that's what we really need to get to. We need to build that in. And I, there's a great book that one of our previous guests, Jessica Barker, was involved in, which was the ABCs, which is all about, you know, awareness is a great checkbox approach or you know, state um, uh, measurement into how well your uh, employees are progressing. But behavior is one of the things you want to get an adoption into and also getting, you know, security by culture. And one thing you mentioned, you know, one of your metaphors, about the house or the car, you lock in the cars. It just reminded me, you know, I, I'm originally from Belfast. And maybe mm-hmm. what we need to do is, uh, you know, if we really want to get people into being untrustful, <laughs> into a zero trust approach, is we send them to Belfast for a vacation for the summer. <laughs> Specifically in the beginning of July. Um, that will definitely change people's approach to security forever. Um, I guess <laughs> so, uh, but that's for me. You know, you know, we want to if we want to apply zero trust to, to people. Uh, maybe it's a vacation in Belfast is what we need, well, um, or something a little bit milder. <laughs> of, uh, Dublin's gamifying nicer. a security awareness program <laughs> so that it make you know, resonates with folks because exactly that. I mean, you know, Belfast definitely that'll do it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I used to live in DC, and there are parts of DC which were, yeah, entertaining, um, but. You know, that's just it. It's like if people don't personally experience some sort yeah. of traumatic loss, like having their house robbed or something like that, or being uh, robbed, at, you know, at knife point or whatever, then they don't necessarily think about physical security or security yeah. in general in terms that are going to resonate with them. 
mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. And I don't recommend that people go through that experience, but we have to, you know, find a better way to get people to, you know, make security part of their DNA for want of a better term. Absolutely. And and to your, to your point, I mean, I remember it reminds me of a project I worked on a good 12 years ago now. And it was basically, it was an interesting project because the, the outcome was not the original plan or goal. It was all about basically uh, uh, consolidating the silos of security. They were looking at um, how many machines they had patched and maybe you know uh, what applications uh, were vulnerable and hadn't been updated, uh, what types of websites, you know, malicious websites employees were going to. And each of those data stacks were in, in separate databases and not being correlated. And they decided to bring them in together, stack rank them, and try to actually correlate uh, from a risk-based approach to how they can actually reduce the risk of the organization. And, and the result, what ended up happening was, one of the end results was, that we realized that one of the things we failed, and it was, you know, I, I failed many times and, and I've learned over the, over the years into when we're trying to enforce security. Enforcing security is, is, is a, a tough thing and it's not a successful thing to try and do. And that's why we had that negative, uh, you know, fatigue and negative uh, friction within the employees because we come as enforcers, we say, this is how you should be doing things. And we took that approach during that project about doing awareness training with employees, we took a forceful approach saying, you must follow this, otherwise there'll be consequences. And it failed uh, because employees basically, you know, they're like, oh, I get measured in how I do my job. I get measured, I don't get measured in how secure I am. I get measured on the business doing well, me meeting my business goals and the company doing well. That's what I'm measured on. And what we ended up realizing was actually we need to reverse. We need to look at, rather than being enforcers, we need to be enablers of security. And I loved Wendy's uh, talk um, when she mentioned about getting usable, secu- you know, security being usable like a spoon, because that really kind of made me think about that's the path. That's what we need to be going uh, down. We need to remove the complexity and get it to being easy to use, usable, even to the point where it's running in the background where people don't need to see security. But at that time, one of the things that came out of that specific project was to your point is that until people see the impacts, they don't realize the importance of what it is and what it means. And what we did was we find that we were communicating directly to the employees and all of them. And we decided that we actually needed to have, cyber, we called it cyber ambassadors or cyber mentors within the departments who needed to be our proxies for, for, for communication. And we were trying to figure out which employees were the best at communicating to the broader team. And it was actually previous victims of cybercrime. Who, who, who had it closer to home, who, who had experienced it. And they became our advocates. They became the best people in the organization to communicate. Um, and I think that's really where, you know, when we look at, you know, if you want to get some type of zero trust framework and approach and you want to incorporate it into the importance of people, you need to have cyber ambassadors and cyber mentors that will be the voice and ears for security within the business and also the way that we can also communicate to their peers as well in the same language. And for me, that was a big realization into you know, really making sure that we empower the people, we make security usable, we don't become the enforcers, we become enablers uh, to the point where um, I remember anytime we go to implement any type of security control, it must be better than the existing control in place. So that the experience, the user wants to use it. They actually, they, they want, you know, they give, me, give it to me because it will help them be successful at their job. Um, is there anything that you think you know, organizations can also you know expand in that as well uh, to really make you know because I, I Wendy's uh, talk was fantastic and I really it was one that was very, very memorable. 
Um, oh, yeah. Wendy's good that way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, what do we need to make, you know, in, in zero trust approach, do we need to make zero trust from an architecture perspective, uh, let's say, you know, automated in the background? Do we need to make it usable? Um, how, how, do we, how do we get the users to, to have a good experience? Well, yeah, and that's just it. I mean, we have to look at, you know, what I was talking about earlier about democratizing security, very much to your point as well. You know, how do we make this as easy as possible for users in their environment? Um, whether it is multi-factor authentication, biometrics, passwordless, whatever it happens to be, what is going to make the most sense in your environment? Not every environment is created the same. And as you introduce new uh, technologies to help with your outcomes, you have to try those. And if they work, great, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But always keep an eye to how do you improve things in the future. So, for example, Passwordless is based on WebAuthn, which is an open standard from the W3C. Yeah. Um, and this is a great example of how you can do security better. You log in once and then it automatically passes your credentials seamless to the user. Um, and this is, you know, obviously, I'm making that as simple as possible, but the point here is trying to make it as easy as possible for the users while maintaining their security at the same point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is going to take a long time because, mm -hmm. look, password, great example. We've been stuck with them from, since 1962. <laughs> I mean, even IBM created a system with uh, passwords in 1962, and they even admit that MIT beat them to the punch. Mm -hmm. um, so it... it this has been seen as a security control ever since, very much in the way a house key is. You know, a house key doesn't, like if I have my house key come home at night, that's great. That's me coming through the door. But there's nothing to verify that it is me coming through the door, right? So Absolutely. if you lose your key and somebody else gets it, that's a problem. So there are better ways to do things. We have to look at ways of democratizing security and making sure that applications are not hard for people mm -hmm. to use. So if you have security tools that are seamless, uh, and I mean that in that is not going to negatively impact somebody in finance, uh, somebody in HR, somebody in procurement, whatever it happens to be, you know, application developer, let them focus on their core competencies so that they can get their jobs done within a safe and secure environment. And this is why Zero Trust will provide for a strategy to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and however you position it within your organization, call it continuous trusted access, zero yep. trust, whatever works for you, there's no one size fits all. And that's the beauty of this is that it doesn't have to be a rigid, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but fundamentally, you're about, it really boils down to reducing risk in the organization is the core fundamental here. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I was doing a penetration a few years ago. That was came to a big realization for myself as well. That was a point in time. I, I love always doing that talk, um, that it was the point in time when I realized, and it was a discussion with the CFO and CEO that made me have, have, had to have that hard discussion that made me realize that actually I thought I was there to enforce security and to be deploying security and, and to help the organization um, get the right security posture. But it was a hard realization because when I was brought down to reality, I realized that that's not my job. My job is to listen to the business and understand the risk yep. and to look at ways that I can use my knowledge and skills to help reduce that risk. And at the same time, I, my goal that I realized is to help the employees be successful at meeting their goals while at the same time making sure we're reducing the risk. Uh, and that's ultimately kind of, it was a big hard realization. It was a, it was a point in time to change my outlook and how I looked at, you know, my job and what I was there to do. And it also changed a lot of discussions with the boards uh, post those, those, those years. So definitely, you know, it all starts with the risk and, and looking, you know, I think for the you know, key takeaways for the audience is, is really, you know, that I think what's really important here as we're on, on, on kind of covering and bringing down to reality what zero trust is. 
is that absolutely all companies should strive to go down that maturity path and try to get as much of their processes and, and uh, procedures and technology to have a 